Haini pee, haini pee, haini pee. Wajani wina, hijankishina, hini karigiwina. Greetings from the land of 11 nations, or as everyone else calls it, Wisconsin. I'd like to thank everyone who spends a couple of minutes listening to me and my guests every week as they share their experiences and insight with you, the listening audience. I'd also like to thank everyone for joining me on our adventure into the dark recesses of the interweb. We do it through this vehicle that I call Chipotle. If any of you in the listening audience have any thoughts, concerns, comments, or just feel like trolling a host, feel free to leave a comment at moneycuckseek at gmail.com. That's M-A-N-I-K-A-K-S-I-K at gmail.com. Or just leave a message at the Chipotle Facebook page. Uh, I wanted to give a quick shout out to my Dega Sherman Funmaker. He has a website called A Bear Writes Poetry. It's a collection of his works that he's posted online. It's fun and a good read. Um, I go back and forth reading them. I was never a poetry guy. You know, a little Robert Frost to smooth the edges at times. But uh, Dega Sherman's work is a step into his head and, uh, I don't know, I enjoyed it. I highly recommend uh, everyone taking it out for a spin. Um... One thing I'd like to present to you is that uh, I feel the time for a constitutional convention is now. The numerous examples of uh, legislative overreach have almost become legendary. And with President Whitey willing to engage the legislature in court, it could also become expensive. Ho-Chunk Nation had their first constitution in 1963 and it was redone in 1994. Well, here we are in 2021. I feel we have to engage our sharpest minds and direct them to reshape our Constitution so that it better reflects what the original writers envisioned. I believe the original writers envisioned a government of four equal parts, an executive, a legislative, a judiciary, and a general counsel, all balanced and working in concert. Now, our government is out of balance with the legislature branch assuming powers that constitutionally they do not possess. A couple of quick examples are negotiating with another sovereign entity, namely trying to open a casino in Illinois with zero input from the executive, or for that matter, general counsel. Uh, Overriding business decisions that were made after exhaustive studies, Project Forward and CRP programs jumped to mind. The constitution is very clear and unambiguous in the area of general counsel power and their resolutions. And yet, through various parliamentary maneuvers, they have acted and acted almost zero resolutions. The legislature realized that there are no repercussions for failing to adhere to the Constitution. Zero legislatures have been removed for failing their duty to their people. I am not advocating removal. I would vote in the affirmative if certain legislators were brought before the General Counsel for removal, though. What I am advocating is a top-to-the-bottom review of our Constitution. The first thing I recommend is getting together a small group and read the Constitution. Look at the powers enumerated and the powers implied. I have sections I would delete, change, and clarify, but that's just me. I need you the people of the Ho-Chunk Nation, to gather ideas of your own. 
After a number of groups have gathered their ideas, we can gather together in area groups, hash out differences, and begin to codify a new constitution. Once this is done, we can be begin to present it at area meetings for further review. Once this step is completed, the new constitution should be presented to the General Council for approval. Our constitution is a living, breathing document. If, as a people, we see it being abused, we have the obligation and duty to make sure it is adhered to, and if it isn't, appropriate and immediate measures need to be taken. Okay, today I talked to Ho-Chunk's Gary Phillip and Matthew Mann. And I'll finish up with a little diatribe about how the legislative publicly states that they have been trying to work with President White Eagle's administration for 19 months. But I think obstruction is the real name of their game. So, let's get into the podcast. Welcome back, everyone. I have uh, Matthew Mann on the phone with me. Good morning, sir. Care to introduce yourself? Oh, hey, good morning. Um, my name is Matthew Mann. Um, uh, shoot, I got to stop saying um. Uh, people keep telling me that. Uh, my name is Matthew Mann. Uh, that's what uh, they called me. Uh, my grandfather, he named me that. Uh, comes from above. Uh, is, um, my grandfather, Emmanuel Falcon, my, my mother's father had named me and uh my dad my dad kind of allowed, he allowed it you know it's kind of one of those type of things where uh my dad gave my mom you know certain privileges as far as uh as a uh, birthright goes amongst the ho-chunk nation you know father son type type thing so really appreciate of that um well like i was uh my my dad was john john our man uh, my mom's joanne falcon uh her parents are were uh, Rose and Emanuel Falcon, and uh, my dad's parents were uh, Ralph Mann and uh, and Ann Pettibone, and uh, that's that's me. Um, I want to get you on for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, you're a podcaster. Do you want to share that with us? Oh man, it's like it's like I've been wanting to do this thing. Well, ever since um, I met this uh, radio show director through uh, Michael Day from Barocqua. And we had gone down there to meet the um, chairman of the Kickapoo tribe of Kansas uh, because they were having a fire talk session down there. And we went down there, and uh, his name was Lester Randall. And uh, he, he just won re-election, too, which is congratulations, Lester. And uh, he was on this, uh, like, uh, stage, and they were talking to the community about Kickapoo coffee. They did not realize that Kickapoo was actually a trademark tribal name that they that these Kickapoo's owned um, rights to um, not only the Kickapoo tribe of uh, Oklahoma but Kansas and um, Texas, I believe, are the two places that they that they have the Kickapoo people at. You know, and then what they were how they found out was that they they were um, looking for indigenous food. They wanted to get back to what their their people ate. And they're having a high rate of heart disease and diabetes, like the rest of Indian country. So they wanted to get back to where they were um, ancestral foods are. So they found out that where they're from is over by um, by Lake Erie, over by that way. But they were removed so much that they were kind of trying to follow that footprint all the way back, and it brought them over to um, Barocqua because they were placed there for a little bit uh, in the Kickapoo Valley. So that's all that reserve got its name 
I mean, there's there's all kinds of history that that's involved with that. Um, you can probably talk to uh, Bill Quackenbush and uh, different ones that work in historical preservation about that particular property down there. And uh, even like one of my one of my little dads, they went and fasted down there. So I met this guy from the radio station, and he asked where I was from, and I told him. And Michael Day introduced us, and and at that time, my my Jaji Bill Wanigiwe was was down there too, you know. And he, he they're all like uh, activists as far as uh as indigenous rights um uh rights of nature you know uh my jaji bill when he uh, he presented that bill to the ho-chunk nation a few years ago when i was uh i believe i chaired it that year um so he was uh instrumental both of them um, um my dad michael and my dad bill were both instrumental in that area in promoting native american culture so they introduced me to this uh station manager wdrt and he wanted to do a um a show for a couple hours a month like 45 minutes two shows twice a month and like he was like yeah so whatever you want to talk about gee i don't even know what i want to talk about and here like you can't really kind of sometimes shut me up sometimes but <laughs> and, but for him i was kind of like oh man i, I don't even know what i'm talking about i don't even, even know where to start you know who, who would even listen to me you know so when i started my podcast that was the same thing I was like, who's going to listen to me? You know, I, I want to try to get this. I want to try it out, but I don't want to go down to the radio station right away. I want to try it to see if I can get somebody to listen to me. So me and my son were sitting here and we slept on the headphones. I, I went to school at the tech for mass communications. And um, my last semester, um, I, I wasn't able to finish. Um, some things, personal things came up. Um, I had some grandchildren that were um, homeless and I needed, needed to take care of them. And it just so happened that Everything just kind of just didn't work out in my favor to what I wanted to do, which is all right because I know it eventually get done. But in the meantime, I had learned how to edit and um, and like uh, put together um, programs. So I put together one real quick. Like me and my son are sitting here, and just so happened that I'm, when I'm doing it, somebody calls and they're okay. With, you know, it was one of my cousins, and she was pretty okay with being on there, so it made it really fun. And then I went to make the second one, and it wasn't as fun. <laughs> as the first one. And I was and that's why I haven't put it out. Like I got it on the computer, I have it semi edited, but it's not as good as the first one. And then I heard your podcast with Colin Price and Colin was like talking about you know, you you you, you do a good one, then you want them all to be like that. You're they're not all gonna be like that. And I'm like, Oh man, why did I listen to this guy first? And then you know, I could have edited <laughs> I could be like, oh, I'm putting it out there. But then I, I think back to what my what my one of my instructors told me, you know, about um, this photographer named Carr. Um, his his thing is that his philosophy is that he would like to take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. You know, that's what you're looking for. You know, you see the ordinary when you look outside, but you know, you want to make it extraordinary. And and that's in the process of telling the story. And that's that's kind of what I wanted to do was just tell a funny story because like you would not believe the things that happen to me on a daily basis. <laughs> like you you can't make this up. Like oh man, like, kind like, like getting a, like, getting a phone call during your podcast. Yeah, yeah, getting <laughs> or like oh man, like yeah, like crazy. Yeah, oh yeah, like uh, and then um, so I'm kind of like known as known as like the Dega around here like even people that I'm not even their Dega call me Dega you know and, and so when that happens it's usually like you know uh, uh, you know you gotta kind of like adhere to that you know but then there's you know cause there's 
my grandfather explains to me like this. There's two things to, to being a Dega. There's one, there's the, you know, you discipline your nieces and nephews, you know, try to get them to be a better person in society, you know. You know, that's the one thing, you know, listen to their parents, you know, don't talk, you know, be respectful, you know, that's what you teach them. But on the other hand, when they they do that for you, listen to you your whole life, you know, do that all, then when they come asking, you know, you, you have to, you, you got you to gotta give it to them, you know, you have to, whatever it is they're asking for, it's theirs. That's the way my Degas are with me. Um, and that's the way I'm, I, I try to be with my nieces and nephews. So when they ask for something, you know, they, I, I try to provide it for them because I know that when I come asking that they're going to do that also, you know, they're not going to turn me down. So that's the kind of like, um, respect I have for my people here, um, in, in the Black River Falls area, my relatives that, that call me big, you know, and try to go over there. And even ones that don't call me, you know, call me big or they just call me mad or, and then like, um, like, uh, I have, like, uh, nicknames, and depending on those nicknames, um, will depend on who I, I know, how I know you, or how, how we're related, or whatever. Like, I have a, like, uh, sometimes people can make it into the far, like, the closest, like, uh, my aunt, my aunt, my, my, my Dega's, my Dega's wife, she's, a Tona Antum Papago from, uh, South Arizona. And, um, she had never, um, coming up here north, um, she had never, um, heard of Polak names, you know, the ski. <laughs> so she was going to school and she had uh, a classmate and their last name was Matsky. So she would call me Matsky. Hey, Matsky. Hey, Auntie, you know. So then her sons, she got five boys. And so they all called me Ski. And when I was little, I had a, a chicken pot, chicken pox, and I had scratched one off here in the, on my um, on my paw and my nose on the bridge of it and it left a scar and those boys used to call it ski yeah ski you know <laughs> hey ski's got a ski hey you got a ski you know they see a scar and say you got a ski you know so I became known to those boys as ski you know but that's just uh, the kind of like immediate family you know and then other ones have uh, names for me like uh like RG, I don't. I'll, I'll say it because Jamie, Jamie, Jamie likes listening. To, uh, listen to my podcast, Jamie Funmaker, and up there, Wittenberg area, those those, uh, those uh, funmakers from that area, and then the rest of the relatives, the White Wings and the Decoras, um, the ones that know me, they call me Mattress, <laughs> and that was that was started by um, Kelly Kelly Funmaker. She, I mean, well, they always call me Mattress. I mean, I ran Mage Mattress, but then she she said it publicly one time while we were up there for a dinner. And um, ever since then, those people remembered that, and that's what the, my relatives in Mattress, you know, sometimes they call me, and then, then the rest of them that in the Dells area, and that's kind of what, so I'm sure that after this podcast, everybody's going to be going to go, hi, Mattress. <laughs> and then uh, one of my one of my grandmothers asked me, hey, I just want to know, what kind of mattress are you? Are you Sealy? <laughs> are you Posturepedic? You know? You know, so, so like, um, my, my, um, my, my, my parents, you know, they taught me, you know, to, to get along with my, to get along with my brothers and sisters. So I, I try to do that as best as I can, you know, try to get along with them because they told us growing up that, you know, before we could venture out into the world that we'd have to, we'd have to get along at home, you know, and that's, it's crazy because here at my grandparents growing up, there was 20 of us here during the summertime. And my grandparents, 
Yikes. We were just hanging out, and there's a pond, there's a big pond behind our house, and there's woods here that we'd all play in, we'd swim in that pond. So that's 20 different personalities that we had to get along with. And it, it wasn't always easy. You know, it wasn't always, it was always my Davis or somebody getting after us, you know. And, uh, but we learned to get along. And that really helped me when I, when, um, I turned 20 and I took off and I left Wisconsin because, um, I traveled and, and wherever I went, there was somebody, there was somebody just like back here at home and, um, everything about them, mannerisms, looks, um, attitude. And you knew how to deal with them. You knew just how to, you, you knew just how to get along with them. And that's what I was thinking about with my, my parents, you know, my grandparents telling us and my dad was, you know, making us, uh, productive members of society, you know, kind of, even when we ventured out because it was my Diego that had gotten me to, to leave Wisconsin. He seen that I was just, uh, messing around here and just getting in trouble. So he told me that I better go somewhere where I can kind of learn something and see something. Otherwise it'd be too late for me. Well, so that was, that was, that was fun. It's kind of sounds like your upbringing kind of, uh, brought you right in for the job of, uh, hosting general counsel then with all the personalities involved there. Yeah, General Council, yeah. How I came about that gig was about, um, uh, gee, I, don't, I can't remember. Um, it was like about five or six years ago. I know one year I didn't host it. I think it was um, 2019. I think it was 2019 that I didn't. Last year was 2020. Yeah, 2019 was when they had to switch over. Um, Joy, Joy Thompson had passed away. Um, and it left General Council kind of like in the air on 2019. And then, um, I was, I was, I was waiting for the call because she always wanted me ever since the first time I, I emceed it. Um, what happened was that, uh, there were some people that were on the, um, general counsel agency at that time. It was general counsel agency before they, before they got rid of it. Um, they had heard me emcee a couple of times and they called and said, Hey, we only got one request for proposal for, um, MC for general counsel, you should put your name in there. You know, well, you know, we, you know, we'd like to have a more of a pool to kind of like, uh, pick from more choices. I was like, Oh, okay. All right. You know, so, so I was like, I didn't even know what I, I didn't even know what to ask for. You know, I was like, yeah, I don't even know what, don't. And so, um, at that time, my mother had just suffered, uh, an isometric stroke. So I, I knew I needed a room and could we take care of her? Um, I didn't want her to go to a, to a nursing home. I, I, I couldn't do that to my mom. She, she would never do that to me, so I couldn't do that to her. So, um, they obliged and they got me a room and then they got me a per diem. And I went down there and I emceed and I didn't really know what to talk about. I, they handed me a, a binder and said, read from here. And then when I opened it up, most of the pages were blank. <laughs> All I had was like the, the voting information. So I just kept reading that over and over and then that got boring. So I just started talking and, and I didn't even care if anybody was listening to me. Like I, I was just, I was just seeing people and then I'd greet them. I'd seen the elders coming in. I'd say hi to them. And then I started thinking about like people and like different speeches that I heard and most, mostly just getting the crowd going, like just getting them hyped up, like proud to be there. 
and was my was my motivation. It's kind of like I didn't want it to be stagnant and people falling asleep. Or so I talked for two hours that time, and by like ten o'clock they had quorum, so I was out of there. So I stuck around and and kind of like uh, checked it out. Um, the second year that I that I emceed, um, I got nominated for um, for chairman, and that was a pretty tough. Man, that was that was pretty tough. Like I was going against some some really seasoned chair people. Like uh, I think I lost two years in a row to Gerald Cleveland, um, and then I think uh, one year to Willie. I think I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure I got beat by. But that fourth year. That's when they, um, I, I, I got in there. I won chairman, but I didn't even know. I was like, gee, I don't even know. What, what, <laughs> I, I just wanted to be up here just for this. Now I got to be up here all day. <laughs> but it was pretty easy because the agenda item was pretty good. And um, I want to thank uh, Carrie Faye was my um, secretary. And then they said I could appoint another one. So I asked um, um, my niece, Steph Begay, to come over there and help out. You know, these are some people that um, I, I I felt that had really excellent secretarial skills that could keep really good notes and uh, and kind of like uh, keep the meeting minutes that all the stuff that we had to do that day and that day would kind of keep me in line too. You know, Carrie, she's a veteran, and, and then uh, Stephanie Begay, she's like my, my blood niece, that's my real aunt's daughter, and they helped me out really good. And then even the sergeant at arms, um, uh, Harrison Funmaker. Uh, Bear Clan Security. Uh, they did a really excellent job. Um, the song people were really great um, that time. And, you know, it's unfortunate what had happened. And, like, I, I made clarification that uh, uh, what had taken place with the tribal member that day wasn't um, because of anything that was said towards me. It was because of the, uh, what I had seen where I was standing, where I was, where I was from. Uh, this person was making advances towards the elder section. Like they were going to do something to an elder. And that's why I had called their clan security. And then uh, when, she didn't, when they didn't settle down, um, I asked them to remove that person. And, you know, it's unfortunate that it had to happen like that. that and, you know, that, that you know, I, I don't want to see anybody get into type of physical altercations. You know, it's bad enough that we're verbally abusing one another, you know. But, you know, that's just the way it is. Well, that kind of leads me into the last general council that we had. You were up there tap dancing for what, uh, 10, 11 hours? Uh, I think they said eight and a half. Eight and, and a half? Uh, eight and a half, yeah. And like, uh, <laughs> even at the end at 4.30, at 4.30 they were like sending me notes and they're like, there was a guy on the side, he had a big sign and said that wrap it up because I kept on talking and I kept talking and I was trying to like find the end of it but I didn't want it to end because like we were so close and like he kept holding that sign up like wrap it up wrap it up so like even though I talked for eight and a half hours um I probably could have still talked a little bit more it's like this podcast right now like I got way off subject from talking about <laughs> other things and you want to know about general counsel here I'm talking about my life and Higu Choga said don't be talking about yourself all the time <laughs> Well, uh, seeing how you've had this job, what can you, uh, what do you remember about General Counsel from when it first started to um, kind of right now? Man, I remember when you only needed 182 people to reach quorum. Um, they had it at uh, the London Center one time over here in Black River Falls. Uh, they had just built this new gymnasium and this new school, and they put an auditorium in there. 
and uh, Rosetta Hunt, I believe at that time, because I can't remember her. I can distinctly remember her. Um, she was uh, kind of like helping along with the registration process, and she was all like, "Hey, does your chokanum still live downtown? You know, we just need, you know, I can't remember how many more. They, need. they were just right there, though, right there, right, ready to make quorum, but they were a couple people short. So they went downtown, back to and they they kind of rustled up a few ho chunks and brought them up there. <laughs> I was like about in ninth grade, you know. I kind of remember that, you know. It was a, a Saturday, and we were kind of us kids were all playing in the foot in the football field at the school there. And those guys and I remember they're talking about different things, you know, about how they're gonna. Uh, at that time, it was still the Wisconsin Winnebago Business Committee, I believe, and that they were having the general council there. So even back then, yeah. So I, um, my, my family, my dad, and, and different relatives. They've been in this tribal politics for a long time, even through the uh, the bad years that uh, Judge Joan was talking about. Um, we were on the other side of that, um, other side of that, what she was talking about, and uh, it was uh, it was kind of like. Um, kind of like rough times i guess you'd say but nonetheless we came through it you know and that's something that we have to learn from because you know they were they were bad times like uh like she was saying you know brother against brother you know even families threatening threatening us uh and then you know having to uh be careful of our surroundings you know it's kind of how we grew up a lot so of uh a lot of the young people don't even know what you're talking about. Can you uh, just give us a uh, explain a little bit about what happened? Um, there was uh, there uh, as usual uh, the, to me to my to my recollection of so just me being young and just me uh, is that we're they're fighting over over money. They're fighting over who is going to control the purse strings, and they wanted accountability of where money was being spent and how it was being spent. And at that time. Um, Gaming was fairly new, and it wasn't like just anybody would give you a a loan for a casino. So they had to look for um, investors because uh, uh, these uh, Wells Fargo and these different places they didn't see that as uh, an opportunity to make money like they do now. Like you got PNC, PNC Bank, and you got Wells Fargo. Man, they'll loan us anything as long as we waive that sovereign immunity. But, uh, anyways, so there was a lot of, uh, fighting over what we had. And, uh, we were kind of like, children were kind of caught in the middle of it. Relatives were kind of caught in the middle of it. You know, one, people wanted it this way and other ones wanted it the other way. And then, uh, how it turned out was that they, uh, wanted everyone to have equal say, tribal member. And so that's why they, um, made this constitution that they have and uh, there was a, a Mary Natani had said something one time and uh, she said that they designed this constitution or kind of made it so that it could uh, it could change over time it could adapt to suit how how we how we need it she said this is just a in its infancy, she said. So I always think about that, that any time we can change 
these laws as a collective, as general counsel, if we can just all get together and uh, agree on one thing and on one course of action and one direction that we're going to take. It was like, um, I was, I kind of always come up with these sayings, you know, and, and one of the ones that I was saying was that all our canoes have to be paddling in the same direction. Our canoes can't be uh, paddling in different directions. We're never going to go anywhere. So we can all get our canoes to paddle in the same direction, you know, when there's hope for us. You know, and that's all. That's all our relatives wanted. They didn't want us to um, struggle in our everyday life that they had to. Our relatives here in Wisconsin had to follow crops, make a living. They couldn't get a job anywhere. So the ones that uh, moved away, they they moved so through that uh, relocation. And they got good jobs in the city and made a good life for themselves, you know. But here in Wisconsin, the ones that didn't didn't want to do that, they, they uh, struggled. So through that, they, they developed this business committee. They were going to conduct business on behalf of the Wisconsin Winnebago's, the Wisconsin Winnebago's, because there was nothing here. So they got it together. Um, my uh, great, my, my grandfather, uh, Nathaniel DeCora, Winnegide, he said that uh, he used to work and he'd save up his money and then he would travel to us and other relatives too. They would travel down to uh, D.C. and they would uh, try to get federally recognized status for our people because they wanted, uh, they knew that there was a business here on behalf of the Wisconsin Winnebago's that needed to be conducted and needed to be taken care of land issues, uh, enrollment issues. So that's what they, that's what these relatives did. They had the, the, the forethought, the insight to understand the future of our people and that we needed to uh, adapt to the society that we're in in, a, in order for us to survive. So that's my understanding of how the Wisconsin Winnebago Business Committee came about. And that's why they um, chartered it there in the Wisconsin Dells Church because there was a mixture of Native American church people and, uh, and what they called, uh, at that time, they were the lodge people. They belonged to the medicine lodge. And today they call them traditional people. But when I was growing up, they called them um, lodge, members of the lodge. And uh, so they they see that. They knew that we were going to need help here today. So that's how we came about with this whole business committee, general counsel, constitution today. And like I said, you know, back then in the 90s, you know, to me it was just over money and power who wanted to control it all. And today, that's that's the way I kind of see it today, too. I mean, they're just trying to, trying to see who can control things without really understanding or reading the Constitution or understanding its effects. Um, some legislatures that sat before um, these ones, um, they were educated. I mean, they were, they were smart. I mean, they, they um, and education my grandfather used to tell us like yeah it's good to get all your education that you can get you know but if you don't apply it you know it's no good you know if you don't put it to use he said you know if you don't you know that knowledge you don't put it to use you never become wise and these ones they um they put it they put that education to use they had a kind of like a plan 
and they wanted to implement it. But you only get four years to try to get something done. And it takes longer than that. But this is just uh, my thoughts on it. Um, my Diego Preston Thompson Jr., when he did it a couple years ago, a few years ago, had posted a question on Facebook. And he had asked what card-carrying ho-chunks were doing to help the tribe along. You know, I kind of laughed at it because, like, you know, I I don't really consider myself a card-carrying tribal member. I just consider myself just just me. <laughs> so I never, so I, yeah. So I never really thought. I never really thought. But then when uh, when I did think about it, I was like, man, I said, I'm not even doing anything. I was like, I'm just collecting per cap. I just wait for my direct deposit every three months. I said, I'm not doing anything to help help the tribe along, except for maybe complain that my per cap's not increased. And, you know, I, I, I want to live like those rich Indians, you know, like Shakopee's and Pequots, you know. But, you know, I'm not doing anything to help the tribe to achieve that goal, my own personal goal anyway. And, that, and so, you know, I kind of, the way that I was taught, you know, as well, you know, I can't really say nothing about it because I'm not doing anything. But then... uh I try to do other things. I try to help out my relatives, whatever they need, uh, spiritual advice or just need me to be there. Need me, need me and my boys to do some physical work or something, you know, well, go over there and gladly help you out, you know, because that, to me, that's perpetuating the, um, culture of our, of our tribe, which is kind of, I feel is more important than any type of, uh, government because this government could end right now and we could become regular people, you know, the Canadians, they did that up there to some Indians. You know, they took away their uh, status as uh, Native Americans and made them ordinary citizens. You know, and that's an act of Congress could do that to us, you know. Be like, oh, no, they're regular citizens. Take your casinos away. And that's the other thing, too, the, you know, that whole casino thing. Too. Hey, I don't even want to get me started on that one. <laughs> well, that's another podcast. But yeah. um, if I could just get you to... Wrap it up here. What uh, you got any uh, final thoughts for us? Oh man, yeah. Just um, make sure that you 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 kind of understand what's happening, like with your government. Like you understand what it is that you want out of the government. You personally, what you want out of it. You know, what is it that you want that you you know? And are really like, oh, we want uh, culture and language and you know all that. You know, it's good. It's out there. Get it. You know, it's free now. You know, and just take the opportunity to do it. But in all reality, you know, think about what it is that you really want from this government. You know, now is the time. Here we are, you know. And when it's all this chaos, you know, opportunity for, you know, for something to happen here, you know, for opportunity, you know, where's chaos. There's opportunity here for us to change, to take this tribe into the direction that we all feel that it needs to be taken into. You know, that's just my final message. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you for uh, spending a couple minutes with us. And uh, <laughs> we'll do it again. I can't wait to hear your next podcast. I know, right? Yes. All right. I'll try to get it out there soon. Thanks for having me, man. And thanks for uh, promoting everyone else's podcast, Huichates uh, and uh, different ones. Uh, I can't remember who else is out there. But, uh, yeah, I kind of don't listen to my brothers because my wife likes to hear his voice. You know, he was a singer. <laughs> a, 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 um, he won awards. He he. Uh, in Madison there. I can't remember the name of the synth that he used to sing with, but he's, he's, he can sing. 
<laughs> we'll be yeah, looking for like, that then. Yeah, and he's my brother, and so I kind of like, like the one stealing my wife. Yeah, <laughs> All right, you have a good day. We'll talk again. Right. Thank you for yeah, your time. Welcome back, everyone. I have with me Gary Phillips, Ho-Chunk Citizen from Michigan. Mr. Phillips, good morning. How are you doing? Good, good. Thank you. Uh, you can introduce yourself to the listeners, you know, your educational background, little work history, uh, maybe what you've been doing during the Wuhan. That'd be great. Yeah, um, I was bored in Elgin, Illinois in 1957 to my parents' Raven White Wing and uh, Birth of Black Hawk. I uh, started out pretty much at Winnebago Children's Home in Dealsville when I was four or five years old. The Phillips came from uh, my adopted parents. I was adopted when I was six years old by a Presbyterian minister and his wife that lived in Gresham, Wisconsin. I was raised in Gresham, Wisconsin, went to high school, um, Shawano County, and um, then I left that that location. I left there in 75. I quit school uh, my junior year and went to the Marine Corps. I was in the Marine Corps until 1978 and uh, honorably discharged. I was a computer operator, spent a couple years overseas. Um, I'm not a combat veteran, I'm a Vietnam veteran, I'm just, just not a battle battle veteran. Um, yeah, so, so from after the Marine Corps, that was in uh, 78, then I uh, came back to Escanaba, Michigan, had children, five children. And uh, then I went to Connecticut, worked at Connecticut for, for DuPont for uh, 12 years um, and went to school, got my, got my degree there and, uh, in accounting. And then I did a lot of corporate work, uh, cost accounting, things like that for... Uh, DuPont for a couple of years, worked in corporate, financial analyst, all sorts of accounting jobs. So I've done just about everything in accounting. Came back to Wisconsin in 95 and uh, went to work for Rainbow Casino up in Dakusa for a while. And then I, I got the uh, general ledger accountant job at finance at Ho-Chunk worked under Dan Brown and that crew over there. And um, then I left there in 97. I went and uh, became CFO for the Stand Rock Indian Ceremonial, and that's where a lot of people know me from. Uh, give a shout-out to uh, Carson Funmaker and Craig Blackcoon. They were working with me. We uh, put that together. And... Uh, had to go before the tribe and ask for uh, monies to run that that summer. And uh, 
after that was done, I went back to Connecticut, picked up corporate again, and uh, started my own LLC, and came back here in Michigan, and now I'm pretty much stuck. I'm starting to move a little bit, but when coronavirus came in uh, last year, I just hunkered down. It's a pretty safe spot right here, and I didn't want to go anywhere. You know, nobody was going anywhere. So right now, I've just been uh, thinking about, you know, getting up and moving around a little bit. And uh, But for the last year, I'll tell you the truth is, I've been pretty stuck because I'm, <laughs> I'm 64 years old. I'm a cardiac patient. I had a triple bypass back in 16. You know, a core virus would kill me in a week. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very careful. Well, that's a um, colorful background. Um, just kind of wanted to get into this real, real quick. Um, we've been emailing back and forth, texting. And one of the things that um, interested me was um, this real trailing earnings and how this affection, uh, affects the nation in terms of uh, NPD. I was wondering if you could explain that to uh, everybody. Well, back in probably 97 or so, 95, when, when uh, I was first finding out how the per cap was working, I think there were, I think that's when they came up with the twelve thousand a year. Started out at eight thousand, then it went to twelve thousand, and uh, and it's been there ever since. Well, that kind of piqued my interest because I said, "How do they come up with that twelve thousand dollars?" Because I'm a numbers man, and so you know I got to have numbers, and and so I wrote an article to uh, the Woduck back then, and. Uh, that's been lost, I'm sure. But one of my one of my points was about trailing earnings. There's a thing called trailing earnings and accounting, which means the past uh, reporting period. You know, if we're if we are here in 1997, then how do we know how much to pay per cap if we if we don't have the um, you know, exact number, let's say we, you know, we made this much money, net income was computed, they split net income, and so that number should fluctuate, That because our income fluctuates, it's just common sense. Every year we make more, we make less, and so that's, how do we compute the, the per cap? You know, you, you know, you just can't come out and say, "Okay, we're going to give out twelve thousand bucks." Based on what? What's it based on? You know, so. So then, this trailing earnings is what uh, determines, or in your mind, determine the twelve thousand dollars per annum. It should, it should, but it doesn't. The thing is, let's say we're going from a period from January, February, and March quarterly, right? And then we get paid, we get paid per cap in February. Then we get paid in May. Then we get paid in August. What I'm saying is that the income is fluctuating. It's probably fluctuating too much for Treasury to really put down a number. They, they'd have to do this every quarter. So what I'm saying is use, if this is 2021, use the, 
the uh, income statement, the net, the net income from last year. And that Treasury knows what that is. And so it's on their computers. And so we use that number in, in the 45-55 plan, which I like, 45% for the tribal members and 55% for the, uh, for the nation, for the government. And this was an idea brought up by Cloris Lowe back in the day. And, um, and I kind of liked that idea. But in order to do that, in order to say, okay, what's our 45%? We got to base it on a number. We got to have a number. That's where transparency comes in. I got to know what the number is. All tribal members got to know what the number is. And so how much did we make last year? Is with core virus and that, our per capita would really go down because it's based on, you know, 45% of our net income. Well, doesn't the, the government, government has less to spend? Doesn't the and government so promote does, that? I mean, doesn't the government uh, provide us with those numbers? I've asked for the financial statements, you know, written letters and emails and phone calls, which they don't answer. So, you know, Treasury is not really open with that. You know, back in the day, back in 1990, say 2000 or whatever, if you remember, they they passed out the financial statements at area meetings. They also passed out the budgets of like the Buffalo farm and different projects we had going back then. So they were very open about the numbers. And that might have been a disadvantage to them. And so they stopped giving out numbers. And none of these ideas work without the numbers. We got to have the, how much does the nation have to spend? What's our long-term debt? What's our long-term liabilities? What is our debt service on the, uh, not the crap project, what's that called? Pro project Forward? Project. Yeah. What were the actual numbers on that? What did we actually spend? They were saying 160. And I, I said, it's probably going to turn out to be more like 200 billion. And so our, if, where did we borrow that money? And what is our debt service on that money? On, you know, we could guess that probably we're paying about a million a month in debt service on that, on well, that, on that kind of money. Can we, uh, from what I understand, is if you go into the Treasury, they'll let you look at the numbers. I mean, you can't take anything out or anything. But I think we can go in there and look at it, can't we? Yeah, because all we, you know, it's the, uh, the uh, long-term liabilities and debt service should be on the income statement down there. And uh, uh, so we need that, and we need the net income, that number. And so if we split it into 45-55, that's really easy. And so the 45% of that is what we get. And like it or not, if it's low, if it's high, whatever it is, that's what we live with. We live with uh, $11,670.22. We live with $15,690.18. These are real numbers tied to those financial statements. That's what we got to know. It tells us whether the casino is doing good or whether, you know, whether our enterprises are doing good or whether the enterprises are doing bad. And every tribal member should know that. And when they get their per cap, they're going to say, holy man, we're doing good. 
where they're going to say some other, you know, demonstrative <laughs> word. And, you know, we didn't do too good. What the hell's going on? So, you know, so let me, uh, let me clear this up. So, that's, so why, I understand. that's why the transparency. So you would tie upper cap to the trailing earnings? Yes. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I understood that. I said that a long time ago. And, you know, like a lot of our ideas get trampled or whatever, or they get lost. Is that how else would you want to do it? I mean, arbitrarily, the, the legislature arbitrarily picked a number out of the air. I don't know where they got it. But, you know, my friend was asking me the other day. She said, you know, what? what's wrong with that? What's wrong with the 12000 I said, look at this. It's just common sense. Our casinos grow at 15% a year. You'll hear every, you know, you'll hear every director, everybody saying, oh, man, we do so good. We're making... You know, we, we're 15% over last year's numbers. Then why isn't our per cap going up 15% a year? What's with that? You know what I mean? If we're if our casinos, if our income, net income, you know, if, our, if it's growing at 15% a year, even in a saturated market, then why isn't our per cap going anywhere? That just doesn't make no, that doesn't make sense at all. Take 15% for the last 20 years. Our per cap's been at 12000 for 20 years, and we're growing at 15% a year. Those, that class, you know, that doesn't even make sense. Well, you know, so it's just common sense. One of the things um, you've been uh, texting me about is um, transparency, and that dwells right into uh, the, divers uh, excuse me, <laughs> the diversification of the tribe. Um. Are you advocating governmental diversification, or are you saying that uh, we should do private individuals and try to do it that way? The only thing I think about with transparency is where the why don't they hand out those income statements at area meetings anymore? That's transparency. That's a good point. That's, to me, that's transparency. That's all we need. You give me numbers, and I'll slay you. You know what I mean? I just will. Because that's what I do for a living. I've done it, you know, most of my life. And that's why they don't want to do it. They don't want us knowing the truth. You know, because they want to spend 160, they want to spend 130 billion on lacrosse. They want to spend, you know, uh, 350 million on Broy, which I, which I agree with. But then you got to know the, uh, if we borrow money on that, it's going to shoot up to $730 billion just on our debt alone, and what's the debt service on that? And so, you know, where did they come up with the 160 they spent on the project forward? You know, they can't, they don't have enough for our per cap, but it just seems when they want to come up with $160 billion, they do it, you know, they just do it, they just you know, when they want to give $195 million to 13 clans, they just do it. But, you know, but we can't have anything. You know, we can't get any more per cap. We can't, you know, there's no transparency. Where do you come up with that? What What are lenders looking at the whole chunk nation as, you know, Wells Fargo, everybody else? What's our What's our debt rating? You know, what, where are we at? You know, and that would be easy to discern to, to get off the... Uh, financial statements exactly where we are in our debt but I'm, I'm sure it's pretty 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 good and uh you know for us going forward you know you know borrowing another 730 billion for uh 
for Beloit, then, you know, it's Madison. You know, Madison, you know, I mean, we got to concentrate on Madison, Beloit, you know, I, I, I don't really agree with lacrosse at this moment, but, you know, those are two profit centers we really got to hit and uh, to go forward, you know, to increase our, increase our, and that goes into diversification. You know, I, diversification is kind of, to me, is kind of like a murky code word for let's spend money, where, where again, we're more of a debtor nation than we are a savings nation. Our culture is, you know, we, we're spending so much, but what are we saving? What are we, where's our concentration? I think we really got to flip that to, to be more of a saving nation than a spending nation. And that's where we've been for forever. Well, that leads we me into, have, that leads me into this one. Um, savings nation. You've, uh, brought up a Ho-Chunk Nation enrichment fund. Can you, uh, give me a couple minutes, explain that to me? Uh, sure, sure. That was another idea from back in the nineties with, uh, Tracy Thundercloud would, would he, uh, propose, uh, instead of giving us per cap to put our money into a holding fund for five years. And then that would generate enough income and interest to do what we do now. The nation wouldn't have to pay 98 million a year. It would, the holding company would do that, would pay all the members and we'd have part ownership in something real, something with our name on it, something not dependent on the whole chunk nation. And I liked that idea. It never went anywhere. It was never extravagant. It was never uh, examined, I think. I don't know exactly where where uh, Tracy was going with it, but I took it, uh, where I took it, and what I say is there's a number of ways to look at that. And and my, and my the enrichment fund is that the whole chunk nation, it's backs its members in a savings plan that is, you know, like the, uh, structured a lot like the uh, Children's Trust Fund except it would have a, a few different caveats to it. But what it does basically is that just like any company any, uh, in the United States, as they try to, they, in a lot of their 401ks and things like that, they match the employees' savings. You know, when I was at DuPont, the, the uh, DuPont matched our savings up to 6% that we contributed to our 401ks. And so, you know, most workers know that. And so what I'm saying is that the nation back its tribal members to do the same thing, not just the children and the financial classes to the children, because this is a huge thing. It, it kind of blew up in my face when I see, I just looked at the numbers. I wrote out the spreadsheets. I said, okay, if we take our per cap, we save it for three years, that's 36000 at 12000 a year. If the nation puts in, you know, tw- matches us at 12000 a year, that's, that's 80000 after thirty after three years for every tribal member. That's kind of like a hybrid uh, holding company. But it's, a, you know, it's the same thing like a, like a trust fund. And so I threw that together and it, it, you know, it looked good on paper, right? And it makes sense as far as the math. 
and the uh, future value, things like that. But it blew up in my face because there's so much more to that. It's why I said we're a spending culture instead of a savings culture. Throughout, we're, we're a welfare nation. You know, white people come to us and they say, man, you got them casinos and you ain't driving on a Cadillac, you're driving away in a Dodge Dart station wagon. <laughs> and they can't understand why we're so poor, why our people are so poor. And, and so that's kind of like what, that's a culture. And we've been like that for years, way back to the WWBC. It's been, we're just so used to debt. People are comfortable with being poor. You know, they'd, they'd rather be poor than rich. And so that's why I said it's a huge issue. Saving money, putting, sacrificing your per cap for a year, for two years, for three years, um, that's not in our culture. That's like stopping drinking. That's like stopping drugs. I mean, that's like those kind of questions. And so I need a psychologist, I need a behavioral scientist to be able to put the whole thing together because our mindset, and I've heard it before, our mindset is we're going to get this per cap and we're going to spend it. And a lot of us do. We just, it's, it's for spending. It's not for savings. And so flipping the nation, the mindset from a spending I'm going to spend my per cap, so I'm going to save my per cap and have 80000 in three years. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to, I'm going to live in a tent. I'm going, to, um, I'm going to eat canned beans. I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to, to be able to buy my house, to be able to buy my G70 in three years. And so that mentality has to be, you know, it has to be, wow, it's just a big thing. It's not just a spreadsheet saying, you know, okay, let's do this. Let's just, you know, give the, uh, our people this money. It's just like with the kids. They have to go to the financial literacy classes. They have to, you know, with, with a quarter billion dollars, why aren't you buying a thousand acres of land? Why aren't you, you know, why don't you buy a nice house? They have to be taught this because their mentality of their houses of eating peanut butter on uh, pancakes, that's that's the way they were raised. And so this money is to spend. It isn't to save. Yeah, you got a few that that do well with it and go to college and, you know, they could, you know, add invest. You know what a quarter billion is invested at? 4%? You know, you're talking about 24000 a year, you know, just in interest. You know, we're not even touching the quarter million. You could do incredible things with it. So, but we're not in that mindset yet as a nation. And so I see what I've done, what what can be done, and not necessarily what will be done or even what people want. They don't want, they, they want the nation to give them the money so they can spend it. They don't want to save the money. If you look at the Mexican, they, 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 they save the money. You hear them, oh, I retired a billionaire at age 30. You know, I, we bought a home, but we had to, you know, we had to give up 
um, our dinners as, you know, our date night and things like that. They think like that. And there are a lot of ho-chunks that think like that. I know a couple that took their per caps and they went every year. They, they put their per caps together and go around the world. And so, yeah, there are, there are good thinkers out there that know how to say, but I think generally there's more to it. You know, I think there's a lot more to it than just giving ho-chunk money. All right. Well, I think we're going to end it there. So I really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for everything. And uh, you have a good day. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. All right. Well, well, well. Here we are again with an attorney general being nominated and a whole chunk nation's legislature being asked to do their duty and confirm the nominee. But after what they did to the nominee for the executive director of the Treasury, well, everything's kind of up for grabs. Now, I understand that we are all relatives and we shouldn't criticize those who have chosen to work for the public good. But if decisions being made in our name are contrary to the common good, contrary to the spirit of the Constitution, should we stand by and let these transgressions continue? I say no. But powerful voices within our nation continue to say that we should let those in power continue to abuse their positions because it's rude to challenge them because they are relatives. Well, I think it's rude and contrary to the spirit of our Constitution for the legislature to continually tell President White Eagle no on his departmental nominations. The legislative spokesman assured us that the legislature has been working hard for the past 19 months with President White Eagle's administration. Attorney Jennifer Garvin's nomination has been forwarded to the nation's legislature for confirmation, and a clock is now ticking. And as I recall, Vice President Karina Thundercloud answered a question in the candidate's symposium concerning this very issue. The nation without an attorney general seemed to trouble her greatly. So I am sure the legislature will act quickly and decisively. Unfortunately, we have seen our legislature work decisively against our president. Ryan Crane was denied confirmation because, quote-unquote, he lacked business accounting. Mind you that the Department of Business has their own chief financial officer and a CFO and controller at each gaming site. All Treasury is responsible for is inputting those numbers reported by the gaming sites and making sure that's done correctly. Ryan Crane was more than qualified, yet he was denied confirmation. Shall we go down the list of past nominations that the legislature has denied? Okay, let's do it. Uh, Tony Falcon, Department of the Treasury. Banford Dick III, Heritage Preservation. Matthew Mann, Heritage Preservation. Michael Salloway, Department of Business. Paul Shagan, Department of Justice. David Wilson, Department of Justice. Amy Kirby, Department of the Treasury. Dan Brown, Department of Business. Dan Bloomer, Department of Treasury. Forrest, I apologize for messing your name up, Forrest Tadonapa, Department of Justice. Eleven qualified individuals were denied by the legislature. So, let us not criticize members of the legislature for obstructing President White Eagle's administration. I'm sure all eleven nominees had no value whatsoever to the Ho-Chunk Nation. Perhaps in the coming days, 
Attorney Jennifer Garvin will be confirmed Attorney General of the Ho-Chunk Nation. Perhaps. Well, that's it for another podcast. I hope you all found it interesting and entertaining. Uh, just a quick shout out to Huahade and Shungchung uh, Sky. Keep up the excellent work. Uh, I sincerely enjoy reading and listening to the weather in Toma and Black River. Uh, where are all our young Ho-Chunks who are raised with all these social media and electronic tools? Let's get some Ho-Chunk uh, material out online. If I can do this, you can all create some Ho-Chunk content. I publicly challenge our young people to get out here into the interweb and show us your creativity. Uh, Kedajusep, I watched all your videos. Thanks. <laughs>